Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 110. Dina Rahman has arrived. Yeah, so episode 11 of the show, way back at the beginning of when I started this, I found a story about a woman who was basically just doing everything in football. She was starting football in Bahrain. She was playing for the first professional women's team in England. And setting Guinness World Records. Yeah, pretty interesting personality. I found her to be an inspiration, and I've been wanting to chat with her for the better part of a year and a half now, and today, it happened. Dina Robin joined the podcast to tell us her story, and she's an inspiration. Enjoy. Maybe you do want to watch the second half of uh, Switzerland, Sweden, I'm not sure. It should be, a, should be quite a exciting one so, well you got your boots filled the other night didn't you oh wow i went to the game so i went to uh i, w- I was at the game live and yeah that was like unbelievable <laughs> I, 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 how, how was it watching it live because look as a coach i alarm bells for me were ringing for norway within about 10 minutes i was like this is a problem and yeah <laughs> It was actually an interesting game because um, before the game, obviously, obviously I, I coach as well. So I was observing the warm-ups and stuff. And I like looking at Norway, I was like, this is going to be a, a strong game. Um, I didn't feel that England obviously played their best game against Austria. So I was like, Norway are definitely going to be giving us a game. And then it kicked off. And then obviously they were on top at the start. So first, like the first few minutes, I was like, yeah, this is, this could be, this is going to be a tough one. And then I think the penalty was a changing point, but like Norway just seemed to fall apart, like literally straight after that penalty. So, you know, I don't know what happened in, in to them mentally, but they literally just fell apart. And then we were just getting so much success down the right-hand side um, and they couldn't deal with it. So as soon as the second goal went in, I was like, wow, this is, this is pretty much game over. And then it just carried on from there. And yeah, they just never recovered. Obviously, Second half, I think England took their foot off the gas a bit because they, they could. Um, Norway obviously definitely tightened up a bit. So um, it wasn't as easy as it seemed in the first half. But it was just like to be there and the atmosphere around, obviously, England anyway, um, hosting it and the crowd and then the performance. It just kind of was a it was just like a, a real good event to be at. And so w- what... Because the environment around the ground, in the ground at these matches is very different from what these stadiums are used to seeing on a weekly basis. Yeah. You know, so and I'm sure you go to games of different kinds. This this is a different environment. I went to the 2019 World Cup in France and you know, hordes of, you know, young girls, like t- full teams with like chaperones, parents, everything changes the entire environment what what's been your impression just in and around the grounds yeah i mean i mean like we were walking to the game and and for me growing up playing and obviously you know i played for fulham professionally back in 2000 and we were the first team to go pro in europe and you know it wasn't really set up for that environment but it was it was kind of like a you know it's history in the making in that sense uh but we just just it's it's kind of like it's it's such a touching feeling just to see like the crowds coming into these games because you're just thinking wow look at look at the support now we have like in women's football um and it's a lot of families and I actually really like that because I think that you know there's a lot of stigma still around um you know like males 
their perspective on female football. What I'm loving at the moment is there's like families and there's brothers that are t- coming with their sisters to these games and um, young girls now that can aspire to see role models and they know that, you know, if they like playing football, there's there's opportunity for them. And then the brothers around that as well, you know, it's becoming a normal thing to see females playing football, obviously on the big stage. So I just think it's just such a good environment to be in at the moment that's only going to organically get more and more positive in that sense so it's just a real buzz I mean I went to the Brighton game is great because the only way into the stadium is on the train really so it's just like the the train's packed and then you all walk in together to the big stadium um, and then even coming out afterwards obviously there's a lot of buzz because of the result and then you're all in the line waiting to get back on the train but it's just like so many people so it's just it's a real positive thing to be a part of at the moment. So I'm just excited by that. Is it a little bit, I mean, is it just kind of wild to see and think? I mean, you just said you started playing for Fulham as the first professional club. What what I read is that it, it they had to scale back after a few years because yeah. similar to um, in the United States, we had the first iteration of what is now the NWSL it actually folded entirely for, for a little while and had to like sort of come back. Is that, so you've seen that yeah. and you're not old and gray here and you're seeing this entire revolution happen. What, is it just kind of amazing to see how fast the changes taking place? A hundred percent. I think like, um, yeah, when we went pro, um, it was the back of actually Mohamed Al-Fayed, the chairman at Fulham seeing the 99 world cup in America and obviously the crowds there and, he obviously just saw the buzz around women's football, um, but America were obviously miles ahead. Um, so, you know, he took the step, he took the bold step of making a professional team, but obviously England weren't ready for that. So being the only pro team, um, it was a bit unrealistic. Um, the FA's plans obviously with the WSL weren't anytime going to be in place. So we did it for three years. And then obviously as you know, it wasn't as successful in terms of popularity, um, obviously the finances behind running a football club. Unfortunately, it just went backwards to becoming amateur and Fulham actually folded the team completely at that time. So it was a real kind of sad situation to see that happen. Um, so, yeah, I think like from as a player, obviously selfishly, I, I, you know, I'm gutted that I'm now 39 and I haven't been a part of this as it is now. Um, we will always hold that kind of history making thing and for me being professional was such an amazing opportunity um and out of football I've just managed to do so much many different things that I'm I feel really lucky in that sense um but yeah I'm just excited for a what it's like now and b for the young girls coming through and what they can now hopefully be a part of growing up so it that I just honestly I get a real buzz from it so it's an amazing it's an amazing time for women's football well, so one of the things I I think is episode 11 for me that I did when I started this way back at the beginning, I found an ESPN article about you and that's where I learned about your whole story. You ended up going to Egypt after the Fulham uh, thing. Yeah. Started. How does that happen? <laughs> um, so I'm half Egyptian. So my mom's English and um, my dad's from Egypt. Uh, so so basically, I, I played for England at youth level. Um, I went for my trial at 15. Uh, I got into the under-18 squad. Um, and then I was playing in the under-18s. But I never played 
for the full full international team. Um, kind of a few things happened while I was pro, a couple of injuries, you know, um, I feel like psychologically I kind of got a bit out of it in terms of the players that came in that were older than me and I, I wasn't really mentally strong enough at that time. Um, so it unfortunately kind of was looking not great for me in, in England in that sense. So my dad was like, right, you, you're going to go and play for Egypt. So I kind of laughed a bit and was a bit like, I doubt there's any women's football in Egypt, but I'll entertain him. Um, so off I went to Egypt literally for a holiday and then he got me a trial at a club the next day. So I went along to this trial and um, they were like, yeah, we want you to stay. Um, and I met the lady um, who was in charge of women's football in Egypt or female football in Egypt. She asked about my background. And by then I had done my degree in sports science. I was coaching so she was like, look, I want you to be around the young national teams, um, you know, just give me some feedback about what's happening there. And in the meantime, play for Wadi Degla, which was the club that I signed for. Um, so I spent a year in Egypt um, and yeah, it was just a, it was an amazing experience. Uh, it was good for me to see a bit of my um, my dad's culture in terms of I, I didn't grow up with him. Um, my mom and dad split up. So it was good to live with him for a year. That was a real nice kind of personal thing. Um, I was playing for the for the club then. I loved it. And then being around the national teams um, and just, you know, helping them out at the under 17 level was was amazing. Um, and then, yeah, I never I never played for Egypt because they didn't have any games um, at that time. And I unfortunately got injured at the end of the season. I snapped my ACL um, and then I decided that I wanted to go back to England. So, yeah, that's how I spent a year in Egypt. So in with your year in Egypt, you didn't know before you went what the state of women's Egyptian football was. Yeah. Obviously at the national level, it was still sort of non-existent, but what was your impression of the overall structure of the league? Sounds like it was in some ways a little bit ahead of what was going on in England or no? Not really ahead um, in terms of the, you know, England, England obviously had like the top teams and they, they had loads of tiers of women's football all the way through um, Egypt had like one league, um, but what I was present, uh, like really happily surprised by was the standard. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised at like how good the players were. Mm. Um, and the club I played for, fortunately, it just kind of happened that that was the connection that my dad made, um, were like the top team. So we did win everything that season, um, but we played some really good teams and I was playing with some really good players. So for me, it was actually a refreshing change as I said I struggled a bit um with being professional in terms of I wasn't get I was the youngest player in the squad we actually got two Norwegian three Norwegians and a couple of them had played in the Olympics previously and just won gold a gold medal when we went professional um some full England international so I just wasn't really I didn't really find my way um and then I lost my England place probably because my confidence was low my fitness then became low because I wasn't playing so all this kind of played a factor that I actually got to the stage where I was like, do I want to play football anymore? But I knew it ran in my blood. I knew I was still passionate. So going to Egypt where the standard was good again, um, it was a new challenge. Um, it was just refreshing for me to be a part of that. Um, and yeah, the players there, there were some amazing players that I played with. And, um, you know, that, that area now is starting to develop in terms of the, um, you know, there's a there's an African Cup going on at the moment. Like the stand of play there is 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 rising. So that's really good to see as well. Um, so yeah, that was what I kind of got out of that experience. 
have you been back to the club you you played for at any point I've been back to visit. Um, so I've been back to see the team. The coach that I had um, back in 2008 is still there. So, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a real nice uh, thing to see. And he's been involved with the national team as well. So I just, yeah, like it's, it's been nice to go back. I haven't been back for a few years now. Um, but if I ever go to Egypt, it's like one of my one of my things is to go and see my my ex-teammates and, and see the coach and stuff. So, so yeah, it's a it's a nice. They were like a family, so it was it's really uh, something special for me. Well, and the other part of your story is that, and this is something I recognize as someone who's traveled. There's some people who, when they go places, things just happen. So you took a vacation to Egypt and ended up playing there for a year. Then you took a vacation to Bahrain and just essentially set up women's football in that country. <laughs> Yeah, so um, so I, I basically went out to Bahrain. Um, so my ex-husband um, at the time was working for Arsenal and he was going to pre-launch the Arsenal soccer school. So he's like, do you want to come out? Um, I'm going for five days. You can help out with the coaching. And I was like, yeah, definitely. I'm up for that. So um, I went out to uh, Bahrain basically to help set that up. Um, and the guy that was going for the head coach's job actually liked what he saw from my coaching and was like, look, I want you to come to Bahrain um, and work with me. So I said, I said to Paul, um, my ex-husband, I said, oh, I would love to do it. Uh, you know, it would be good to put my CV. I'll do it for a year. Um, and he was like, yeah, I'm always over in that region. Like, definitely go for it. So I took the job in 2010, January. I started at Arsenal Soccer School. Um, and basically, yeah, one of my roles was to develop uh, female football there. Um, and I just remember my first ever session, we started with two girls um, and I was like, right, we've got a job on our hands to change this kind of uh, kind of like parents views on females playing and get some real growth. But that kind of was the fire I had inside me. So so we started obviously developing that and um and yeah, I ended up living in Bahrain for 12 years. Um, and by the time I left, so we actually left Arsenal in 2015 and set up our own academy called Tekkers. Tekkers is currently still running, um, even though I've left Bahrain. So that's that's really good to see that still flourishing. Um, but by the time I left, we had 200 females playing football. Um, and we've put a few through the national team. And then, yeah, when I got there, um, I, I, as I said, after Egypt, I'd snapped my ACL. So I was very, very unfit, should we say, when I got to Bahrain. So I was like, the only thing at the time there was the national team. So I said, I asked if I could train with them um, and just kind of get my fitness back. And they were like, yeah, come along. So train with the national team there. Um, and then obviously as time goes on through residency, I, I actually ended up playing for Bahrain's national team. Um, so I've been playing for them ever since which has been, again, an amazing, amazing experience and kind of uh, I've just loved every minute. They, they're, they're, they are my real sisters, that team. Like, they just literally took me under their wing and just, like, kind of embraced me being there, which has been amazing. Um, and, yeah, so just seeing the girls' development, I started the first uh, women's league in Bahrain. So I had teams even coming over from Saudi. Uh, we had 12 teams in our league. So, yeah, I like when I look back now, I'm just like, for me, it was that was what it was about, um, as well as developing boys as well, because I, I did run obviously techers from the two year olds up to 18 year olds. Um, a few of them 
represent the national team um, and we had every level recreational or elite players um, but yeah probably one of the main takeaways is the female development of football in Bahrain so yeah and did you have to do anything to skirt FIFA regulations to be able to play for two national teams um, how does this so, work so, yes <laughs> so basically because I played for England at youth level um, obviously once you play as a full international that's you done for that team um, so I know you probably know maybe a few players that have played for, say, uh, like Ryan Giggs. He played for England at youth level and then went on to play for Wales at full international. So it's, it's that it's the same setup in that sense. Um, but there are rules, obviously, in terms of how long you've been in the country and um, the residency stuff. So we had to get by FIFA um, in terms of all my paperwork of being in Bahrain. Um, but once I got uh, that sorted, then, yeah, that was it. I, um, and weirdly enough, Egypt came up at the same time, wanting me to play for Egypt. And that's my, obviously, my actual um, heritage. So it was one of those real tough times of what do I do? But just working in Bahrain and being there just made it so much easier. Um, I knew I couldn't commit to Egypt in terms of escaping for, you know, six weeks at a time to play in tournaments and stuff. So so I went with Bahrain and yeah, like, as I said, I think it resurrected my football. Um, so it's just been an amazing, special experience. So I get the feeling after you do a bunch of things like this, you start projects, they succeed. Is, is, is this where you just started going, okay, world records, what, why not? <laughs> that seems like the logical next step. I started a couple academies, gotten some leagues going, they're professional, they're still moving without me there. Yeah. Time, world records uh so because that's records. the first thing everyone thinks of course right yeah <laughs> um yeah i think like so basically again like you said earlier um like networking and kind of obviously when you do these things you meet a lot of really like interesting and cool people so um funnily enough laura who was um kind of like the who who was part of equal playing field um her and erin kind of made equal playing field um she was living in the middle east at the time as well in dubai and um i actually met her at a tournament uh, because i took a team over from bahrain to play in that tournament so we met um we connected that way and then she was like oh by the way um you know we're gonna be doing this uh world record we're gonna climb kilimanjaro and play a 90 minute football match at the top um and it's all about quality in sport are you interested and i was like that definitely um so i signed up um and then that was the first uh guinness world record so off we went to kilimanjaro i played a 90 minute football match at the top it was just like an unbelievable experience um and then yeah i'm literally like if someone wants to give me a challenge i just want to go for it so so that was the first one once you're obviously in that network then i was like whatever you're doing next just let me know so the next one obviously was at the lowest point which was jordan which as a record was not as exciting. Um, but what I loved about that trip is we were going into refugee camps and coaching. Um, so we did a lot of stuff around the community. Uh, the pitch that we played on uh, was built for the world record, knowing that then the community would use it afterwards. So there were just special bits about that record um, that came around the stuff that we, the impact we had in Jordan. Um, and then the Women's uh, World Cup in France was the next one, which was another great experience. Heat wave, 
nearly didn't happen because it was so hot in France it was that year. So hot. Yeah. It was so <laughs> it was, hot. It was ridiculous. So we were like, it was a bit touch and go, but thankfully we got our match. So um we played the biggest five aside with the most players over um five days. Um and then in that one, even my my little group of players that have been involved in the other records we were like, how can we make this kind of more of a challenge for us? So we played all the way through the night from midnight to 7 a.m. Uh, that was our stint in the match. So uh, we played like the longest time. So we were like, yes, we've uh, done something in this world record. Um, and then during that one was the nationalities world record. So I played my part in that. Um, and being half Egyptian, I, uh, I was Egyptian in that match to get that record. You didn't bring Bahrain as well. You you weren't you weren't a dual package. There was actually another. There was another Bahraini. So I was like, whatever, whatever you need, I'm, I you know I can play around with. So uh, Egyptian was the way forward for that one. Um, and then the final record uh, that we've done was actually an individual one. So um, I know that you obviously saw that one. So that was during COVID. It became individual because of the COVID rules, and we just couldn't really figure out how we could do a team one at the time. And again, Laura approached me and was like, look, are you interested in doing the next record? This is what we're thinking. And I was like, yep, a hundred percent. So I did the most penalties taken by an individual in 24 hours. Um, And that again was another amazing one. I think it was special because um, obviously I I committed to doing that record. Um, We had a live feed throughout the 24 hours. We had lots of like different conferences and different people connecting around the world while I was doing it. Um, I managed to get 24 different female goalkeepers from all different backgrounds in Bahrain, whether they were in my Gaelic football team, because I played Gaelic a little bit as well when I was in Bahrain. Um, My football had some mums from some of the children that play football with me, some of the national team players. So I had 24 different goalkeepers. Um, and then, you know, some of my players got involved in collecting balls and, you know, people were there at two o'clock in the morning, like supporting me. It was just like, it was just like during COVID when it was all a bit, you know, a bit depressing for most people, it just kind of was a real, it was a real kind of special time to do a world record. And yeah, I, sm- I, I can't believe how much I smashed it because I kind of calculated in my head about the, the record was 1,111. So I kind of was like, right, you know, like, I was working it out what I needed to do each hour kind of thing. And I, I beat the record in three hours and I was like, okay. Uh, and everyone was like, you can stop now. And I was like, no, no, no I'm not stopping. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to smash this record. Cause I want people to look at it and think that's, that's a hard record to break. So I can at least keep it for a while. Um, so yeah. So in the end I managed to do um, 7,886, something around that. Um uh. Smashed yeah, it. It was, Smashed it was, it. it was, it was a special one. So yeah, five Guinness World Records. Um, I'm just waiting for the next one. You know, I've got that hunger again. So I'm on Laura's head. I'm like, Laura, when's the next record? She's the brainstormer. She, she just comes out. She'll just come out with something and be like, oh, by the way, I'm thinking this, and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, she is. She's got a lot of uh, ideas. Just speaking with her, it's really interesting. You can see there's um, a sort of creatively methodical way of thinking and coming up with just ideas, solutions, something new. This is, you know, creating an entire shoe company that it's specifically for girls feet. I mean, there's uh, at the convention, I noticed people going, Oh, this is interesting. And I, I, I think what's, you know, what's fascinating about this is 
as a male coach, one thing that I see is, you know, networks of coaches and a lot of them are more or less buddies, friends. There's maybe sort of hierarchies in terms of what level you achieved as a player. And so in a lot of ways, some cigar clubs, you're right. And then other ways there's just, uh, I, I think it's, it's very based in just what you're doing on the job and yeah. the networks that you have and that you're talking about here, these are, they go so deep, right? Yeah. It's, you know, families are oriented. It has to do with your, your past, your cultural past, your ethnic past. And then somehow, you know, with equal playing field initiative, you, you've all managed to really build something bigger here. And this is the thing that I've noticed about the women's game that I find most interesting is that the, the growth of it is going to take it in a different direction than the men's game because it's being built by different people with different values and different ways of working together. What what do you see as the the X factor of the of the women's game changing with women in charge and collectively working together in this way? Yeah. I mean, for me personally, like I I feel that I've been quite lucky through football that um, even in a time when it, it it you know it's not popular, there's not that many opportunities. I've managed to kind of have a career through football, whether it's been playing, whether it's been coaching. Um, now working with Ida, which is you know making football boots for females. All this stuff has come through football for me. Um, the ultimate dream when I was younger was, you know, to be a professional footballer, to be able to earn a living playing football, um, training every day, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. And being professional, I'm, I got a taste of that. Um, I think the main thing I'm passionate about is just opportunities for females. You know, if you're, if you're a young, if you're a young girl and you are, um, you love football, and you want to be a professional footballer that should be there that that's an opportunity and it's becoming that um if you want to go more into sports management are there opportunities there for you to do that and in the past that hasn't been the case so you know females that are passionate about sport or football are not getting those opportunities and therefore they're having to go and do other stuff the fact now that you know um there's there's influential female coaches now that are paving the way um, there's there's jobs high up in clubs that females are um, being a part of those clubs and being in those roles. Um, the professional players, the sponsorship the players are getting, you know, they're able to comfortably live off what they're earning. All that kind of stuff is what basically is what really I'm all about. So the fact that we can come together and we can do these things that are kind of promoting that and pushing that and then seeing changes being made to make that happen that's what it's about and I just I'm just hoping that it will continue like that because like you know in the football world boys have up with those opportunities and there's lots of them we we need to create that same opportunity for females and seeing it happen seeing it grow and seeing that progress is what this is all about so um, I just want to see that happen and that's what I love about equal playing field I love about the, the, the these companies that are coming out and you know supporting and pushing and paving opportunities uh, for the game to grow so that everyone has that opportunity to either play um, you know support be in a 
a high up role in the club, all that kind of stuff is really important. So, yeah, it's just for me, that's the X factor is seeing that continue um, and it becoming a bit of a norm. Um, and we don't have this whole thing about, you know, it's, it's a different game, it's separate, but, you know, it should just be that it's football and yet yeah, I'm a female, I'm good at what I do and I'm progressing. I'm a male, I'm good at what I'm doing, I'm progressing. And that's what it should be about for me. So let's just hope that, that happens. And yeah, the positive stuff you see around now means that I hope that that will continue to happen. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for it because there's also a different viewpoint, I think, that you get in the United States. My sister is a year and a half older than me. She grew up playing. I'm 36 years old. So the 99ers, I mean, that was right, you know. Yeah. And, you know, the game here for girls was always really available to youth levels. Yeah. And the, na the national team was really the only professional option that most players could see for themselves. But there's also the college yeah. level. So players who were good could really aspire to play until they were 22 years old. And if they were good enough, maybe they would get you yeah. know, the, the big carrot. So in a way, that's always existed in the United States. I think a lot of people in the United States take for granted that it was not nowhere near that simple in yeah. some countries. I, I know the I think a lot of the Scandinavian countries, Germany as well, had had pretty well organized uh, youth football for girls yeah. um, from from an early point. Uh, but yeah. you've now seen this in England and then, you know, the Euros are going on right now. Like we said, this is such an exciting time. Yeah. What do you think this next week, two weeks, three weeks here is going to do for football in England, specifically yeah. in England? Yeah. I mean, obviously the success of the team is, is huge. Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on that, but if they, if they could obviously win the tournament, then that's massive um, to be European champions in England would be massive. If that doesn't happen, um, you know, there's, you know, there's some strong teams and whoever we meet in the quarterfinal is going to be challenging. So who knows? Um, but just like, you know, seeing the stadiums fall, seeing the support, um, the games being um, on TV, like, as I said, I just think it's just, it can only be a positive step and it can only get, continue to get better. So, you know, everyone hopefully will come away whether they've stumbled across a game on TV or, They've seen some of the action because they've gone to their local stadium and seen the game. You'd hope then that the support is there for the game going forward. So the players that they can identify now in the England squad, they're then like, okay, like they play for Arsenal, Man City, whoever in the WSL. And then the WSL's currently on TV. It was this last season. It will be again. So they can now start connecting and relating to that. Um, it's only going to get stronger and bigger. Um, and then all that needs to happen now is it just needs to kind of filtrate down so that uh, below that you've got good quality standard of leagues happening throughout. Um, and that's the difference I feel between, say, England and America is that they England kind of have that gap of, like you said, in, in America, there's the elite side of it. But England have always had that kind of recreational or Sunday league stuff happening. So their structure underneath is huge and there's a lot of opportunity for females to play. Um, and now, you know, I was just at a recreational tournament, a local tournament on the weekend where you had, you know, females that are like one lady I was talking to, she's 60. She's been playing for the last few months like that, you know, all that stuff. So there's a massive community now of different levels of football in England. Um, 
And I think the Euros has, you know, will we'll bring that together and highlight that it's open for all. There's opportunities and hopefully it will inspire another generation of players that are like, well, actually, I want to play. And whatever level they're at, they can go and find that football um, and they can go and play. So, yeah, let's just hope that we do well. I think that's only going to have a massive impact um, to kind of build that kind of like fan financial backing, uh, the support from the big clubs, which will then obviously kind of filtrate down into the to the lower clubs and then it will just get bigger and better. Um, so, yeah, I think the quality of play across the Euros is brilliant, which means... It's brilliant. You know, yeah, yeah, and that, that, again, is kind of been in the making in terms of the quality now of the professional lifestyle of the players um, and when people see that and they can see that the quality's there then they'll get we'll get that support so so yeah fingers crossed that England uh, do well um, and if it's not to be uh, off the back of it that there's some positive um, kind of impact being made to the game going forward. Well they're my tournament favourites and I said this because of the crowd i think the i think the fans are going to have to be the ones that take them over the line especially if they have to face germany because yeah the germans are going to be That's they're it. very good they're so they're well drilled that everything ta- i i love watching them for from a yeah. coach's perspective they're yeah. you learn a lot you learn a lot um do you have tickets to any more games do you have or plans to um, anymore so not at the moment we've got a big week coming up um with ida and equal playing field uh next week so i'm quite full on with them doing bits and pieces uh, if I can get to a couple more games, then definitely um, I will be scoping out some tickets. So, yeah, I haven't got anything planned, but I'm pretty sure I'll get to a couple more at least. I mean, after the 8-0 thumping, it's kind of you should really hedge your bets on getting a ticket for Wembley because uh, <laughs> I, I think I think England are, are really in good shape to to. To get to yeah, the I mean, that, that that result was absolutely massive. But as I said, I think the, the big... Uh, stumble, not stumbling block, but the, the biggest challenge is going to be that quarterfinal. Um, you know, like Spain or Denmark, it's going to be a tough game. Um, overcoming that, then hopefully we're on our way. Um, yeah, I mean, Nor- beating Norway 8-0 was a massive, massive shock to everyone. Um, so, yeah, I just hope they continue the momentum. And, you know, Northern Ireland is not going to be an easy game. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of local rivalry. Um, it's potentially going to be quite physical. Um Obviously, we're in the quarters, but we want to get make sure we are uh, we've won three games to go into that. But um, but yeah, like I've got a good vibe, but I'm just hoping that that continues and they uh, they actually uh, do get there. So we'll see. Well, I I was telling a friend of mine, I was like, look, I think it's coming home. I think <laughs> that I, I think that it's going to be I think it would also be sort of poetic that the women's team you know, bring this because there's been a giant sense of positivity around this team since 2019. I, I, I witnessed a lot of English people being like, you know, this is really great. This is such a nice team to get behind. Right. Uh, and and it's the same now where everyone's just everyone's just backing them. They're very likable. Yeah. The men's side, there's always so much toxicity around it, largely driven by the media. But yeah. It's. I think this is the thing that they they don't have as much pressure to deliver because of the the, the extra layers and because of that it's just going to be easier for them to just ride the wave really yeah. and I, so I, I I think that's great to see and uh, I think it would be poetic if they brought yeah. a, a major trophy home. 
Yeah, definitely. Or the men do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, my father's kidding. English. I'm a big fan of the English of, of England. So, and I'm that. and my mother's French. So I've got I've, I feel like oh, I've got good yeah. I've got That's good it. chances of. Uh, yeah, you have like the French team are, are really good too. Um, yeah, as I said, like I think yeah. I mean, for me, you know, the fact that players are role models now, and you know, like. Like even I was talking to my nephew and I he went to the game and I was like, so who did you enjoy watching today? And he's naming players. I just, you know, all that kind of thing is what's amazing about it. Um, yeah, and the England team, they're a great squad at the moment. And, you know, they've got a, a really good coach and I feel she's really brought them together. So let's just hope that they continue this journey with her. And yeah, if they do win it, that would just be like, obviously the best thing that can happen. So Oh, it'd be so good. Yeah. You'll have to you'll have to keep me up to date on uh, if, if if you do go to a game or or anything. Yeah, I'd, sure. I'd love yeah. love to hear about it because it's a cool thing. And and you know, the, just want to point out that you have that Ida banner behind you. So this is one thing you're doing. Yeah. Just just take me through real quick how many official job titles you currently have. How many boards are you sitting on? How many charity foundations are you running? Like what? How deep is your current active resume <laughs> at the moment? How do you have time? Yeah. Well, yeah. So I'm currently with Ida. I'm doing bits and pieces with Equal Playing Field still. Um, I work at Burgess Hill Football Club in their youth department on the female side. Um, I'm also doing some FA tutoring. I'll be doing some of that. So. I'm doing Techers? my A license. Uh, Techers is no longer, unfortunately, because I left Bahrain and okay. kind of, uh, left stuff. So that's no longer a part of mine, but it's still going strong. So that's really good. Um, so, yeah, lots of bits and pieces. Um, and that's how I like it. And hopefully that will continue. Well, you, you're an example for love the game, stay in the game, yeah. keep your, keep building your community and you'll have a life and, and yeah. you know, build a career in it. So, it, look, it's been really lovely. Uh, I appreciate it. And if you have time, if you're doing it, Sweden playing Switzerland now. So yeah. that's what yeah. I'll go tune into. So <laughs> Brilliant.